Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, we're starting a new series this morning called Preparing for Pentecost. If you can recall the series that we did before Mother's Day, and in that series I went over and over talking about how the Old Testament, which was the only testament, had images and shadows and pictures within it that pointed to the plan of God, especially culminating in the coming of the Messiah and Jesus Christ. And in one of those chapters, probably your most favorite chapter in the Old Testament, Leviticus 23, there is a passage in there that talks about the Lord's feasts, also known as the festivals, the set times of the Lord. And some of them were in the spring and some of them were in the fall. The spring feast started with Passover. And then uh, right after Passover was first fruits, which was just a few days later, the Sabbath after the Passover. And then if you counted seven Sabbaths from the first fruits day, you would come to another feast known as the Feast of Sukkot, which is the Hebrew word for harvest. And we know it as Pentecost, which is a Greek word meaning 50, counting 50 days from the one feast to the other. And on the day of Pentecost, they celebrated the ingathering of the harvest. So Jesus was the first fruit. He said, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit coming up out of the ground. First fruits, that was him. And on the 50th day, that harvest from the one new man would become exponential as the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And from then until now, he had been harvesting the earth. The age of Pentecost is upon us. Now, Uh, In June, churches and Christians all over the world will be celebrating what they call Pentecost Sunday. But here's what I believe. Pentecost Sunday should be every Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday should be every day. How do you know that God is alive on Saturday and Monday and Thursday? Uh, Every day. Because Pentecost means the Holy Spirit is here. Not that he's coming. He's here. And I'm hoping that through this series, you and I will once again become even more stirred up that we are to celebrate and live in the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit 365. And so in this series, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and hopefully will be helping you and helping me to, to, uh, to get clarity on that. And so for my first message, I selected a title called The Friendly Ghost, The Friendly Ghost. And so would you join me one more time in prayer? We come to you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we ask you to teach us to know you as you are, not as we think you are. I pray that you would teach us to know you like you know us. Lord, where can we go from your spirit? We long to live within the burning lampstands of the holy place where we behold with our spiritual eye the exalted King, Jesus Christ, and truly worship him. But we also know that in that holy place we must be surrounded by the flaming candle of the presence of the Holy Spirit because it's only in the presence of the Holy Spirit we can see Jesus, 
And it's only in the presence of the Holy Spirit that the freedom that Christ died and rose again for us to experience, not just talk about, can be manifested in the midst. So we are here, and we are in your church. You're not in our church. We don't have a church. You have a church. We are here in your midst, longing to be changed by you today. For God's glory, may you bring glory. For God's glory, may you bring glory upon glory upon glory. And may your kingdom be upon us. Not someday, right now. May your kingdom be seen by us as being at hand right here. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Two things I hope the Holy Spirit asked the Holy Spirit to help me do in this series. Number one is dispel rumors and deal with questions and bad PR about the Holy Spirit. But I also hope, and I hope this deeply, that we not only talk about and preach about and listen to, but we experience within the boundaries of the Bible to make everybody happy. We experience within the boundaries of the Bible the limitless, promised land-like call to Holy Spirit fullness and formation. So I want to start with the title, The Friendly Ghost, because many of you, like me, if you've read in your early Christian life, or maybe even now, when you read the Bible or read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost, right? Because the King James Version, which was written and, and, and pr produced in 1611, how many of you were born back then, 1611? 1611, well, they, they took the, the manuscripts they had and they translated from the, La, or from the Latin and the Greek into, into English and the mates and the blokes and, the, and all, the, all the people from merry old England, uh, instead of saying spirit, they said ghost. And so ghost has, has, has stuck through all the years. But I don't know about you, but when I think of ghost, I can freak out a little bit. And I know a lot of people, when you say ghost, uh, they get freaked, especially if you were raised like me on scary, spooky movies. There was there weren't many friendly. There was a cartoon of one ghost that was friendly. His name was Casper, but that dates me. I don't know if Casper's still around, but he was a friendly ghost, I think. But the Holy Spirit is a friendly ghost, and a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, it might be that you think, "Uh oh, what's this going to be?" Well, and that's because of bad PR and rumors and urban legends. We're going to pray that we come to find out this fact. The Holy Spirit is a friend, just like Jesus, in his approach to you and me. There was a moment in the life of Jesus, Passover Eve, on which he was betrayed. But prior to that action, he got up from the table and he did something that was symbolic, but it was manifesting in a heart-to-heart fluid organic situation where he showed them through what he did how deeply he loved them and in the same way the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing for his church here's what it says in John 13 now before the feast of the Passover Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart 
out of this world, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. I love this phrase, he loved them to the end. Uh, Tetelestai was the word that Jesus used on the cross. It's the same imagery here. Fullness, completion. He loved them to the fullest. One translation said he showed them the fullest extent of his love. In this act, he is showing them how deeply he loves them. And it goes on to say, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, what did he do? He got up from supper, he got up from the table, and he laid aside his garments, which he is showing, he is showing what the Son King of Heaven did coming into our domain, into this world, born in the stable, born in a manger. The Philippian idea from Paul is that he, he emptied himself. When Jesus emptied himself, when the Son of God emptied himself, he didn't empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. Not of his Godhead or Godhood, of his privileges of being the king of the universe. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. Now that word really, when we think of servant, that's kind of a kind idea, but the real graphic comes when you realize the word used there is not servant, it's slave. He took upon himself the form of a slave, a slave, and was made in human likeness and was about to die on a cross in humiliation and be exalted for that to the Father's right hand. And taking a towel, he girded himself and he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And we know the rest of the story. Simon Peter says, no, no, because my image of you, my, my view of holiness about who you are does not give space in me for you to be in the place you are. But Jesus said to him, if you don't let me do this, same with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you that from what he goes on to talk about that night. Verse 14, later in the same conversation, he says, you are my friends. Did Jesus just call his disciples his friends? If you do what I command. In other words, it's not that you just like a robot, you'd like look at Bible verses and try to do them. It's a relational imagery of being under the word of Jesus. When you live under the word of Jesus, he considers us friends, not servants. Friends. Jesus, and we need to make space for this, and again, it's going to rock your Ark of the Covenant world if you're, you know, you got to touch the Ark and steady it because, whoa, 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 I don't want to get into uh, where I'm just loosey-goosey. That's what Simon was doing. Is it okay if Jesus can be who he is? How about the Holy Spirit? He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Be Why? Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends because everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. I am releasing an intimate revelation and illumination of myself and my heart and my way to you. And I only do that with my friends. And now he's going away. He tells them that. And sorrow fills their heart and fear. Why? Because they sense a coming abandonment. And according to Jesus, though, Jesus is saying to them what they can't understand. He is saying, hey, this is good. It's better for you. A new day is about to dawn. The sun is about to rise, not set. A new age is about to come upon the earth. 
a new age. I better not say it, it would offend people, but I was going to say Jesus is leading the new age movement, but I'll say that so they can quote me on YouTube and call me a false teacher. <laughs> Different new age. It's the age of the Holy Spirit. And he says, what, was, what does that mean? Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. See the word another I have underlined? In the Greek language, there are two words for another. There is one word that means another that's completely different. Like if you say, hey, will you give me a screwdriver and you wanted a flathead and they bring out a Phillips. You say, no, I need another. I don't need a, I don't need a, I need a, I need this kind. And then there's another Greek word that means another that's exactly like another. When Jesus uses the word another helper, he is meaning there's a helper coming who is exactly like me. The Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. Jesus is a friend of those under his word, and the Holy Spirit is a friend to those under the word. And he will be with you not for three years. He will be with you, verse 16 says, forever. That is the spirit of truth. The word truth, we, it means more than fact, although it is fact. It's the word aletheia, which means reality. In other words, when he comes to live on the inside of you, if you will allow him, you will live in blinding reality. Was Jesus the reality of God? Huh? And the Holy Spirit is the reality of Jesus. The world can't receive this. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him and it doesn't know him. But you know him. Now look at the connection. You know him because he's with you and he'll be in you. Do you notice in this the covenant connection that's between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's very close to the point that it almost looks the same. There is no difference between any of them in nature. You've seen one, you've seen the other. You've heard from one, you've heard from the other. Although they are distinctly separate individuals within the Godhead. And I'll prove this to you. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then eight verses later, he, in the same few sentences later, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he... So Jesus said he wouldn't leave them alone. He'd come back to them, but he's not coming back to them. He's going to the Father's side. The Spirit of God is the only part of the Godhead that's on the earth. But it doesn't mean we have less of God. We have more of God in the sense that the Spirit is not around us. The Spirit is in us if we're believers. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come in my name and bring to your remembrance all that I said. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Here's what I want you to notice with that. Notice the unbreakable connection between illumination, which is God shining light on his word, showing you what's there. Notice the connection, the unbreakable bond between the Holy Spirit shining light on God's word and the peace of God growing in the heart of those who feed on the word. Look at your neighbor and say, that was a really good point. I hope you don't forget it. Which means 
any preacher or teacher or discipleship program that's really spirit-fed and led will guide the listeners into the pathway of peace. That's the beautiful intention of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because he's a friendly ghost. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when he, the spirit of reality, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, hear the connection, conversation. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is just like Jesus, exactly like Jesus, and he is wants to be a friend up close and personal to the church, just like Jesus. So why is it that we have no problem with singing about Jesus, friend of sinners, but when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we kind of have a, a too ghosty approach. Now, the Apostle Paul said to believers and urged believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit, which means you can be saved and have the person of the Spirit in your life, which comes at the new birth, the, 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 the impartation, the inheritance, the seal. You can have him and grieve him. Here's the thing. Only a friend can grieve a friend. And how do we grieve? How could we grieve the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of ways, but here's three. Arrogance. We can grieve the Holy Spirit as believers by arrogance, where we deem ourselves superior, and we say, I will hold the wheel, and I will control, and we will control the depths of influence you can have in our church. We can also grieve them through indifference. Now, you know what? I've heard about the gifts of the Spirit, and I've heard about praying in the Spirit, and I've heard about singing in the Spirit. I've heard about these things. I might get into that. I might read that, but I might go, I don't know. Maybe I might. I'll get around. That, and we can grieve him by that. If you don't think you can grieve somebody close to you in, in your marriage, just be indifferent for a while. And we can grieve him through willful ignorance. In other words, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get before God and ask him to show me the gifts, explain the river of God and the baptism and baptisms. There, I've, there's too much contrary. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to stay with Jesus. I'm just going to stay with Jesus. See, as if. As if there's Jesus there's the Jesus Christians and then there's the they're not inseparable imagine imagine when the Lord hears that he's like there they go again the Holy Spirit loves us more than our intellect can ever comprehend or figure out 
The Holy Spirit loves us more than our emotions can understand and fathom and receive. He's just like Jesus. He loves us to the uttermost and longs. Just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit longs to show us how deeply he loves us. He's the only one here out of the three. I know there's omnipotence. I know all the attributes. I know that. But when it comes to manifesting the ministry of Christ and the word and the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is the one. In Genesis 1, God spoke, but the Spirit brought it to life, right? When Jesus was in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, what took place? The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. When we think we've reached the highest level of illumination regarding how deep the Holy Spirit loves us, we are still in shallow waters in comparison to the vast oceanic passion that he has for his church. God wants us to think of the Holy Spirit with the same level of awareness that we think of Jesus and we think of the Father because they are always in union, in living, organic, intimate union with one another, in conversation and purpose with one another. They are three different persons with the same nature and they are constantly, constantly in communication. God is fully within himself sufficient. He needs no one. Jesus is thoroughly content in and of himself because he's God. The Father is completely, thoroughly content within himself because he's God. And the Holy Spirit is totally satisfied in and of himself because he's God. Yet the three persons in the Godhead have an unbreakable, unending, eternal, infinite bond of love and communion with one another that never ends. And because the Holy Spirit is God and he's perfect love, he is grieved, not because he needs us, but because he loves us so deeply and it hurts his heart because of our arrogance, indifference, and willful ignorance. Because he knows how much we need him. And he feels this way about every person in the world. But he really feels this way about the church. For the Godhead loved the world so much. When Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus sorrowed for Judas, not because Judas betrayed him, but because Jesus knew that Judas needed him. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need us. My goodness, if he was needy, think about it. If the Holy Spirit was as needy as we are, he would be manically depressed. He'd wake up on Sunday morning going, ain't no sense in me going. They have, they've, they've ignored me for 50 years. I know they got the flame and the cross on the sign in their yard, but it hadn't been flaming. There ain't been no power in the cross in that place for... And you know, there's even Pentecostal churches that have lost Pentecost a long time ago. There are Pentecostal churches doing Jericho March and God hadn't been there in 50 years. People saying they're full of the Holy Spirit and not one person's been saved in a decade. The Holy Spirit wants his church back. Did someone just pass out under the power or they just... 
There are, <laughs> do you know what an urban legend is? An urban legend is something that is thought to be true because it's just been said so long and spread so long and it has a little bit of a partial truth in it to make it believable and that's just the way it almost becomes doctrine. You know, you can't sell a lie unless you put a little bit of a partial truth in it. And some of the biggest lies have partial truths in them. And some of the greatest deceivers of the world know that it can't deceive you unless they tell you a little bit of truth in the midst of their error. And there's a lot of bad PR and a lot of urban legends about the Holy Spirit being purported in the world. And there's a lot, I can't talk about them all, but here's one of them. Here's an urban legend. The Holy Spirit is up there hoping to come down. That's wrong. It's like, it's like we come to church and he's up in the rafters and he's like, I'd love to come down, but you didn't sing a Hillsong number yet. I'd love to come down, but you haven't prayed through yet. I'd love to come down, but you haven't entered in yet. I'd love for all these urban legends, all these things. And he's like up there. He's like, I'd love to, but I'd love to. I'd love to. And here I go. Oh, okay, there, here I come. <laughs> no, that's not the way it is. You think, I need a Bible verse for that. I got two. Acts 2.33, I don't have it on the screen, but listen. On the day of Pentecost 2,000 plus years ago, Simon Peter said, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit who has been poured out upon you. That's over 2,000 years ago. Here's a better one, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given by the measure of Christ. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts, charismata. He gave graces. He gave, he gave the spiritual gifts to people. When? When he ascended. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower regions? Does it mean anything more than the fact that Jesus came down and went up? Yes, it means so much more. And here's what it means. The one who ascended is the one who is higher than all the heavens and he has now filled the whole universe. The Holy Spirit of God is not just here. Not just in churches that welcome him. The Holy Spirit fills the cosmos. The Holy Spirit fills the universe. Something took place at the ascension of Christ that brought some kind of dynamic that we knew not of and we are in it and still don't know of it to the level that Paul said, that's why I pray that the light will go on in you who already are saved. The light of illumination will go on you. And that's why I pray that you'd know the depth and the width and the height and the length and know the love of God by the Spirit of God inside of you you we are in the age of the spirit we are in the new age that will never get old of the son of man son of god in power at the right hand of the father exalted and the sign that he's exalted is the moving of a dimension in the world which is the living quickening powerful life-changing bondage breaking ministry of the third person of the godhead who would long to come to church and be invited in each one I want to dispel a couple rumors. How many of you know where that verse is that says that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? Right, I haven't found it either. But how many of you have heard? Especially if you've been in charismatic Pentecostal circles. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. I've heard that all my life. You know what? It's partially true. But there's no scriptural reference for it. And how many of you think that the comforter means comfort zone? That's another rumor. Let's talk about gentlemen for a minute. In a way, 
If you're going to say, is Jesus a gentleman or is he a jerk? He's a gentleman. If you're going to say, is the Holy Spirit a gentleman or is he a cad? He's a gentleman, if you're going to compare those kind of terminologies. And how about this one? Hey, something happened in our church and I'm not sure I was into that and it was really weird. It really weirded me out because doesn't the Bible say somewhere that everything's supposed to be decent and in order? Usually what people are meaning is, that made me feel weird. And I don't like feeling weird. I want decent and in order on my terms. Let me tell you what decent and in order means in the scriptures. Whatever God is doing at the time. Let me show you different contrasts of the spirit of God moving through the ministry of Jesus. And in every instance, it was decent and in order in God's eyes. And the Holy Spirit wants to come up close into our lives the same. Sometimes Jesus would minister in gentle stillness in a way where he was candid but very compassionate, like at the time with the woman at the well, right? Where where it was decent and in order and he was gentle and he said to her, uh, I know you've been married five times and the man you're with now is not your husband. And it, and it kind of gets on my nerves when people preach that saying, see Jesus, you can't have the Holy Spirit until you, until you deal with your sin. I don't think Jesus was bringing that up so she'd deal with her sin. I think he was bringing that up so she would believe, he knew what he was talking about, so she would believe to drink the water. Not just between me, Jesus, and the Bible, but you can think what you want. Um, but then decent and in order was in a completely different manifestation when he comes to the man who's been laying for 38 years in a situation that he shouldn't have been in that long, but the reason he was in it was because he was pointing the finger at everybody else as the excuse to why he wouldn't get better. And Jesus comes up to him, and the decent and order thing is, is to make him have a reality check and ask him a question that's kind of offensive. Do you want to get well? And then there was another decent and an order moment when he's in a synagogue, which was the church of that day, and he came with such spiritual power that it triggered the demonics who were in the room in the week before, I'm sure, sitting comfortably. But he can, when he comes in, it triggered the demonic. And that manifested in a way that if you read about it, It freaked him out. And he was a gentleman to the person he delivered, but he wasn't a gentleman toward those horrific mauler demons that had that man in bondage. So decent and in order is defined by the action of Christ and the Christ, the anointing in the church. Sometimes the comforter of God wants to come like Yosemite Sam and shoot the stained glass windows apart and turn over the temple tables and shake the thresholds of a congregation that just comes to hear a TED talk with Jesus on it while they hold their coffee in their one hand and decide whether or not they're going to write a note in the other. Sometimes decent and in order means that the Holy Spirit wants to move with such power that he knows there's people who have been coming for generations that need to have an emotional release from the trauma they've carried much of their life. And in that moment, what is decent and in order will look freaky because all of those things come up and out to set them free 
And that needs to be welcomed, nurtured, and pastored. A few years ago, there was a young man who had gone through a traumatic experience in his life where he lost his father in a car accident. Now, that's traumatic at any age, but when you're a teenager, that's really traumatic. And he was in our church, and it was during a season of time where there was a lot of liberty in our youth group concerning praise and worship and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And God did a wonderful thing there, and, and, and there's still people. How many of you remember that, or you're a part of that, and you still live it in the essence and the residue? Yeah. Well, this young man was a part of that, and God was working in his life. And in some Sunday mornings, he was coming in here, and the, and the music was good, and it was hot off the griddle like today. And I was just thinking, and if it would have been an I need to, if we'd have done I need a ghost, my friend would have been running around the room and dancing and all this. And you know what? And, I, and that happened for a number of weeks and all that. And you know what? I had people coming up to me kindly behind the scenes with great care, asking me, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? And I was thinking this and they didn't say it, but here's what I thought. One thing for sure, I'll never see you dance. And the other thing, you've been coming here a long time and I don't think you've ever won anyone to Christ. Or your row is filled with family and I've never seen you bring anyone. So in light of that, I think I'll just let the young man work through his traumas for a little bit. I mean, it ain't hurting anybody, is it? Should you have made that public? Oh, yeah. Because, friend, we're going somewhere. There is a... You, even if you didn't clap, we're still going somewhere. Well, what about decent and in order? Well, imagine Mary of Magdala pre-deliverance, coming to a seeker-sensitive church. She's got seven demons in her, right? And I, and I said in the first service, imagine her coming to the altar, and then I thought, wait a minute, strike it. They don't even do come to the altar in a lot of seeker-sensitive Because after all, the passion is to impress non-believers who don't know their right from their left whether or not that kind of church is the kind they approve of demons and all no thank you no thank you you know why no thank you because the whole world is so traumatized and people are deeply embedded with with hurt and scars and wounds even even these kind of people even me people deeply embedded with wounds and hurts and traumas that go back farther than they even know. That even with Sigmund Freud, they couldn't find their little child. I mean, it's so far, it's so far back there. And you know what? They need to come somewhere where, oh man, we're not, I love our coffee. Matter of fact. <laughs> now look, here's the problem. I have, a, I have a problem. I make my best cup of coffee right before I need to get up and preach. And it's too good to let go. So we're not going to let go of that. But, but, but here's what we need. Here's what the world needs. They need to come around people and escape like running to a city of refuge. They need to be in a place 
where the power of the Lord is present. And so he wants to comfort us. But let me tell you what I believe the Holy Spirit describes comfort as. Jesus was telling those 12 guys, and, 11, and one of them was, gonna, was already making a deal with the devil. And here's the thing about demonism. We have images of demons where it's like, uh, it's like uh, the exorcist where the girl starts climbing like a spider up around a tree, up around the, the roof. Judas was demonized and went and made a business deal. And he didn't do it with his head spinning around. He looked like a normal Joe. But Satan entered him. Do you know what? I'm going to freak you out. There are people that come into the house of God that don't know they're bound until the power of the anointing gets strong enough to manifest it. And that ain't going to happen in every place called church. But how many of you would rather have people come free than bring their demons week after week? Now, it's one thing to clap. It's another thing to see that take place, and it even freaks me out. And I'm not saying, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking to make that. Listen, I've I've been in this thing for a long time, and I've seen so much abuse and so much weird that wasn't God that it takes a miracle of faith to still believe that God can, is into that. Anybody else been in some of those circuses? I've been there. I am not at all looking for wildfire or strange fire, but I do not want to quench Holy Ghost fire. So if comfort means... I'm going to send you out to these cities and they're going to arrest you and they're going to kill some of you. And they're going to bring you up before governors and kings, but don't you worry. Because when you stand there, I'll give you words to say that they'll never be able to confound. And you know what he left out? Then they'll kill you anyway, but he left that out. So if you're talking about the comforter, you got to put it in those terms. If you mean by comforter, you're a, you're a previously cessationist pastor. And the Spirit of God has shown you that you've been in a tributary that dropped an anchor in waters that wasn't the mouth of the river. And you've seen it. And you want to go there, and you know to go there, as soon as you think to go there, the devil says, Sister Flapjaws won't let you go there. (laughs) Brother Bible Club is going to come for you. Friend, let him come. Go from the tributary to the mouth of the water, because there's more out there than are where you are. And he will, he will comfort you as he breaks you out of your comfort zone. There is nothing about comfort zone that you can find in the book of Acts. Oh, I preached myself out of my notes. (laughs) I have no earthly idea where I'm at now. Oh yeah. Let's keep going. 
Let's just keep on going. So Mary Magdala, you got your seven demons. Here's what you do. Pray after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I've got seven demons. I've got seven demons. I ask you to take them out of me. I ask you to take them out of me. And I believe you have my faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, go out and see Freddie. He's got a coffee mug and a, and a bumper sticker and a t-shirt for our car. Get the word out about it. Post it on Facebook. I got, but you know what? You, can go, you, 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 prayed, you, prayed, you prayed your little prayer, but they, they went out with you. I don't think that's what happened to Mary Magdalene. I bet you when the demons came out, snot was coming out. She probably threw up. I don't know. What do you think? She just went, kumbaya. Wouldn't you like everything God did so you could just stand there with your nice little cute self and your shirt and never get wrinkled or nothing and just go, ah, uh, yes, thank you, Lord. I love that. But that's not... Let me ask you a question. If I was in a cessationist church, and you know what that means, I don't know if, if you know, that means a cessationist church is that we believe in the gospel, we believe in the cross, we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we believe in the re regeneration of that, but we don't believe in the manifestation, gifts of the spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, speaking in tongue, praying in spirit. And that all passed away with the demons and everything. That all passed away. But if I was in a church like that and I said, if, if, if somebody came to your church, say age 35, and from the time they were five years old, they were molested. And they're sitting in your church, and you preach a message, and the Holy Spirit touches that person. Would you love for them to leave saying, I was blind and now I see? Would you love for them to leave going, you know what? The torment of that is gone. Wouldn't you love it? I don't know any church that wouldn't say amen to that. Now, if you said it this way, the way God would do that though, would, 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 you, would you be all right if, as, they were, as that was released out of them, they started screaming out in a language you never heard of before? What, what, if, what if they shrieked to a point that even the pastor's hair curled on the back of his neck? Would you be all right with that? I want to be honest with you. I, I would. I've been in things like that before, and you know the first thing I did? I got my Pharisee anointing rose. My my Bible expertise just went right up. It always does. You or there ain't nobody in this room more skeptical than me on certain things. You you can't. If you think you are, come on. Well, let's 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 have a conversation. I'll show you. I'll tell you stuff I've seen that would make you not even hardly believe any of it. Because of what went on behind the scenes. But you know what? The last year of my life, Jesus in his mercy has blown my mind in a situation on the threshing floor of my life using things and prophetic words which I was so tired of hearing this word, that word, YouTube, Trump's in that, all this kind of mess. And in the midst of all that, God through all that clutter and all those crap and, and, and sent words to me that, re that, 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 that reached down into, into the riptide of my situation and put my feet on a solid ground. And... Uh, and I've spent, I've spent a year of my life laying on a floor in my, in my place, on my carpet, saying to God, yes, I'll come out of the tributary 
and I'm going straight to the mouth of the river and I want people to go with me and I have no earthly idea how to navigate that but yes Lord yes yes decent and in order Luke 5 26 they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying we have seen remarkable things today said what grieves the Holy Spirit here's what delights him quickly attitude delights him a certain kind that says this drench me drench me it's like Simon the thing about Simon that I had this had to endear Jesus to him he would mess it he would miss it a million miles but as soon as he got it he would get it and he would go he would go to the extreme in the getting it right so what's he say well in that case pour the water over my head and my my whole body right so he went from one thing of pushing it back to when he saw it he was like I just don't want my no no not just my feet drench me anybody in this room today it's been a while since you've been drenched here's another one brokenness broken people are irresistible to Jesus and the Holy Spirit broken people who continually say heal me you're looking at a broken person you're looking at things in me that all the king's horses all you're not looking at them I'm not showing them to you God knows them there are things in me that all without the Spirit of God all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put those parts of team McG back together again and yet he calls me to do this and you're the same whether you know it or not and that's why we never get to a point where we've arrived heal me that I could be a wounded healer for others that I could transition from Jacob to Israel but in my prince of godness I'm always leaning on a staff heal me hunger feed me help me approach every Sunday like I've never heard anything before and finally openness use me the only thing I say to Jesus in the past year and I've said it for years but I say it from the bottom of my heart Lord if you if your hands on my life and you're saying yes to me then all I want to do is feed your sheep I just want to feed your sheep I just want to use me but don't but help me to be out of the way use me I even write notes to myself to stay out of the way all right here's one stay out of the way stay out of the, stay with your thing use me but not just use preachers 
use us. Because in every one of us, if we'll let him come up close, if we'll let him drench, if we'll let him go past our barriers and our safe zones and just let him burst the cocoon wide open so we don't rot in the cocoon we have longed to have been supposed to have broken out of and step across the threshold into God's world instead of the church world. Step out over it into God's world and say, use me. Because he is still the expert harvester. He is the best soul winner. And he doesn't need a program. He just needs a people. He's a bondage-breaking people-builder extraordinaire. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And he need not have us reduce him to a TED Talk in the name of Jesus that just informs people about 15 million things they already know. And this is what will bring music to the ears of the Holy Spirit in our church today. If we have a Cornelius attitude, Cornelius has a vision and he's told to go find a man named Simon who is living with another man named Simon who is a tanner down by the seashore. And they send for Simon, Peter. And to get Peter ready to break out into God's world, Peter has to have three visions of the same thing. That's not because he's deeply spiritual. It's because he's deeply dull. <laughs> and so when we go bragging about the visions we have, what we might be saying without knowing is, I wouldn't have been able to get it any other way. <laughs> and the reason why it had to be a threefold vision is because Simon, in his world, to step into the house of a Roman was unscriptural. What's his name would have called him a heretic on YouTube? What's his name? Dingus. Eeyore, the anointed heretic hunter. You think I'm lying? 15 years after this, they're still trying to get Peter for stepping out into the Gentile world. To the point Paul had to call him out in front of everybody and call him a hypocrite. You don't think that stuff, I was going to say another word. You don't think that stuff can't get on us? It's all over us. It's on me. God, save me from me. The arrogance and speculative nature of the Pharisee spirit can rise up in us and kill everything God wants to do. In the name of being scriptural. And then he gets to the house of Cornelius. This man doesn't know Job from Job. He doesn't know if it's Malachi or Malachi. He doesn't know. All he knows, all he knows is that the God who created all things that he's been praying to and doesn't even know who he is has shown him that if you'll find a man named Simon and bring him to your house, he'll tell you the way to life. But I got to get Simon out of the cloister of his view of following God so he can see that it's spiritual and scriptural to step across a threshold into another man's house. Right? And he steps across there and here's what Simon says. This is one of the most beautiful phrases in the scriptures you'll find. Simon says, so I sent for you, or you got it? Let's go there, next one, boom. You talk about music to the ears of the Lord. 
I might want to stay here to one. Is that all right with you? Listen to, the, listen to this. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now here we all are in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. There were other soldiers there. His wife and kids were there. Friends were there. They'd all gathered for one reason, to hear what God wanted to tell them. Not so they'd be informed, but they knew they were lacking something and they wanted to be transformed. They weren't looking for answers. They were looking for what they didn't have. Life in the Spirit. And while Peter was still preaching and didn't even get to the altar call, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. I want everybody to stand, please. I want you to listen real closely. I want to ask every person in this room, every person I know personally, every person I don't, every person who's already nervous because I've preached too long, every person in this place, will you say this to God now and give him permission to do it now, not I'll go home and figure it out and think it through and pray it about it and maybe next Thursday or six weeks from now. No, I mean now. Will you say, right now, Lord, I want you above my comfort zone. I want you to break the limits and bust through the ceiling of my life with the Holy Spirit. I invite you to come into my space and break it up. Take the familiar that hinders me from standing in awe of you, fill my temple, shake the thresholds and the pillars, put burning coals on my altar in my heart, and release your atoning wonders with signs following in my life. I come to you right now, not someday. I'm not just going to pray and sing a song. I'm not going to let what you're doing be lost in the song I'm about to sing. I'm not even going to sing. Listen, don't sing a song if he's telling you to respond to the Holy Spirit. Don't sing this song and get lost in it. I get troubled sometimes by things when we can get shaken. We are so good at shifting. We're so good at shaking it off. We're experts. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. I was in between services and I went down to my office and the Holy Spirit said this, Tim, when you get to the end of your thing, I want to do my thing and I want you to say this. The Holy Spirit knows that standing in this room are people who are standing in the ashes of their life. And the Holy Spirit today wants to begin a victory campaign for you. And I want you to, 
I want you to leave your seat, cross the threshold, and I want you to come and stand and have the Lord actualize and manifest the drenching of Holy Spirit rain upon your life. He spoke this to me and said, I'm going to turn the emotions of those who have been tortured today and place upon them a mantle of praise. There are some of you that you stand in the ashes even though you've been washed in the blood. And God knows you're washed and God knows you're clean and the devil knows you're washed and the devil knows you're clean. But he says to you things that you intentionally try to keep from getting past that barrier, that shield of faith, but it's trickled past and it's in your soul. You're saved. If you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Jesus loves you, but your love and you love him, but you're tortured. You're tortured, and he wants to come today in a way that will send the presence of the Spirit on your life where that will no longer have ground in your soul, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, and you're in this room, and he wants to release you from that today. You are standing in a prison with the door wide open, and you've been conditioned to stand in it when you should be out of it, and God does not condemn you for it. He does not look down on you. The Holy Spirit longs for you to know you're free, and he wants you to walk out, and he wants to act and manifest in your life a move of power that will lift that thing and take that thing out of the soil of your soul. And so when we begin to sing, you hold the keys of what takes place in your life today because the Holy Spirit is deeply passionate about coming up next to you and hearing you say, drench me, heal me, feed me, and use me. Lord, I stand as an under-shepherd. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And I speak over this, over this sheepfold that no religious spirit, spirit of fear, spirit of unbelief, will have any ground no demonic power that has spoken and declared that they have authority over anybody in this room coming into this room has no authority now because I have that authority as a shepherd under you and in the name of Jesus I take authority over every other authority and I declare every man every woman emancipated you can come out from under the yoke of Pharaoh and you can dance as you cross through the river to worship the Lord on a holy mountain on the other side and you can come and the keys are in your hand to flip that switch and make a difference and let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life in Jesus mighty name amen hey this is Pastor Dustin and thanks for listening if you live in the Western Maryland area we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings for directions service times and information about our fabulous children's and student environment please visit myloh.church.